welcome to the Once Again Podcast. We are your hosts, Ashley and Jason. In this episode, we'll be looking at the 2002 film, Star Wars Episode II, Attack of the Clones. In this series, we won't be doing a deep analysis of the film or giving a bunch of behind-the-scenes facts, but rather giving our impressions and opinions of the overall film. We'll also be giving a score to the film. Yeah. And we'll also be giving this... (laughs) I was so waiting to be like, hear you say those sentences and me go, no. (laughs) Yeah. And we will also be giving a score to the film. (laughs) So, Ashley, the Shroud of Darkness has fallen, begun the Clone Wars has. Do you want me to do it as, do you want me to do it as a Yoda? (laughs) No. No. I have a couple of, I have a couple lines from the movie in here, but we'll, we'll get, we'll get through them. Folks, pray for me. Yeah. Pray for me. I just want to give a little peek behind the curtain and say that we're actually recording this episode, this, the episode of our podcast, 20 years and one day to the release date of Attack of the Clones. I thought that was kind of neat. Funnily enough, we almost recorded yesterday. Yeah. But I was busy. So. Yeah. Well, Ashley has a real life. and, and so. Jason doesn't have any life. Y- you know. Sadly. Besides, <laughs> besides hanging out with me. Anyway, recording a podcast. Moving on. Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones is a 2002 American epic space opera film directed by George Lucas and written by Lucas and Jonathan Hales. Uh, I found out that this would actually be the last film that Jonathan Hales would write, and other writing credits for him include The Scorpion King from 2002, starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and in television, The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles... <laughs> So the, okay, yeah, yeah, this guy's cream of the crop as far as his writing goes. <laughs> oh, and, God. Yeah, there are also two unaccredited writers for the film, John Ostrander and Jan, I guess that's Dursema? Dursema. Uh, they created Definitely. The, yeah, they created the character of Alea Sakura, and she's the sexy blue Twi'lek Jedi who was present during the battle scene. So they're not credited for the film, but they created the character, so... In the behind the scenes, there's some credits for them. Just as for Elias showing up more. <laughs> yeah. The sequel to The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, is the fifth film in the Star Wars film series and second chronological chapter of the Skywalker saga. The story is set ten years after The Phantom Menace, as thousands of planetary systems slowly secede from the Galactic Republic and join the newly formed Confederacy of Independent Systems, led by former Jedi Master Count Dooku. With the galaxy on the brink of civil war, Obi-Wan Kenobi investigates a mysterious assassination attempt on Senator Padme Amidala, which leads him to uncover a clone army in service of the Republic and the truth behind the Separatist movement. Meanwhile, his apprentice, Anakin Skywalker, is assigned to protect Amidala and develops a secret relationship with her. Soon, the trio witness, uh, witness the onset of a new threat to the galaxy, the Clone Wars. Development for Attack of the Clones began in March 2000, some months after the release of The Phantom Menace. By June 2000, Lucas and Hales completed a draft of the script, and principal photography took place from June to September 2000. The film crew primarily shot at Fox Studios Australia in Sydney, Australia, I don't know if you noticed, but there's a lot of background actors that have Australian accents in, in this film with additional footage filmed in Tunisia, Spain, and Italy. It was one of the first motion pictures shot completely on high-definition digital 24-frame system. The film was released in the United States on May 16, 2002. It received mixed reviews, with some critics hailing it as an improvement over its predecessor, The Phantom Menace, and others considering it the worst installment of the franchise. Attack of the Clones was praised for an increased emphasis on action, visual effects, musical score, and costume design, but criticized for the screenplay, Christensen's performance, romantic romantic scenes, and underdeveloped characters. It performed well in the box office, making over $650 million worldwide. However, it became the first Star Wars film to be outgrossed in the year of its re- release, placing second domestically behind Spider-Man, and fourth highest grossing worldwide behind Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, and Spider-Man. Well, those are some hard other movies to go against. Yeah, you, but, you know, uh, granted it was like the first big Spider-Man movie, but I would still, if you asked me back then what's going to be bigger, Spider-Man or Star Wars, I would have said Star Wars. Like, uh, um, Lord of the Rings I get and Harry Potter I get, but I would have said Star Wars would have been bigger than Spider-Man, but... I would have been wrong, (laughs) and and I would be wrong going forward as well. 
Revenge of the Sith followed Attack of the Clones three years later, concluding the Star Wars prequel trilogy. The budget for the film was $115 million, or $185 million today. The box office was $653.8 million, or just over a billion dollars today. The first screening of Attack of the Clones happened at the Tribeca Film Festival on May 12, 2002, and it received a nationwide release four days later. The film was produced by Rick McCollum. It was edited by Ben Burt. The music is, of course, by John Williams, and the cinematography is by David Tattersall. The production company was Lucas Films LDT. It was distributed by 20th Century Fox and has a runtime of 142 minutes. The film stars Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi, Natalie Portman as Senator Padme Amidala, Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker, Ian McDiarmid as Supreme Chancellor Palpatine and Darth Sidious, Samuel L. Jackson as Mace Windu, Christopher Lee as Count Dooku and Darth Tyrannus, Timura Morrison as Jango Fett, and I also wrote and the other clones that we see, even though that wasn't credited, Penella August as Shmi Skywalker, Jimmy Smits as Senator Bail Organa, Anthony Daniels as C-3PO, and Donnell Tony, and that's a character that we see in the bar that uh, I found this whole intricate backstory for because it's Star Wars, but literally in the movie uh, when Obi-Wan does his lightsaber thing cutting off the arm, this character turns his face, and it's Anthony Daniels' face. Like, if you know what he looks like, that's him. But the character has a whole backstory that is never addressed in the movies, but is extremely int- int- uh, intricate in the of comics. Yeah. Kenny Baker as R2-D2. Daniel Logan as Boba Fett, Ahmed Best as Delegate Jar Jar Binks, Jack Thompson as Klieg Lars, Joel Edgington as Owen Lars, which I'm also interested in seeing his performance in the new Kenobi series. He came back to do that. Bonnie Peace as uh, Baru Whitesun, which I never knew her name until I started putting, or her last name, I should say, until I started putting these notes together. Uh, with Liam Neeson as the voice of Qui-Gon Jinn in a voice-only cameo and Frank Oz as the voice of Yoda. And I just want to say that uh, before we begin discussing the film, when I went to watch the movie on Disney+, Plus, it it started at the halfway point. At some point in the past, I tried to watch this movie and gave up halfway, and it was so long ago that it no longer came up in my continue watching list. I just found it interesting that I... It literally started with uh, Dooku and all the separatists around the table. I was like, wait, oh my god, I tried watching this so long ago. Yeah. An interesting thing I noticed in this listing of actors yeah. that I also list- noticed in the first movie but didn't say anything. Where's Watto? Why is the voice of Watto not on here? Um. Well, this like that's my that's my personal choice. Um, oh, okay, they're, okay. Yeah. There. I. I mean, I could I could look them up right now. And... No, we don't have to. I just. Okay. I yeah. was curious. Uh, well, you know what? I guess I should throw it in there because it's the last time that we're seeing Watto. And, and so... I don't think we mentioned it in the first one either, to be honest. Let's see. Uh, Watto voice actor. Uh, Andy Sacombi, I guess, as the voice of Watto. Um, so yeah, he uh, voiced Watto. So I, I should have, I should have included that because it is the last time that we're going to see Watto, which is something that personally upsets me little uh spoiler for episode nine if you've never seen it i think that old woman that meets ray on uh tatooine at the end that should have been Watto. that would have been a nice that cool been interesting yeah, yeah it would have been a cool way to and like when she says my name's ray skywalker he could have flown away in fear like <laughs> <laughs> oh, i'm out <laughs> yeah yeah not another skywalker <laughs> yeah, exactly. oh no, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah um, which I guess what, uh, well, I still yeah, watch. Yeah, because he's not in any of the, is he in any of the animated stuff? It's, I don't think so. I think he's in an episode of Clone Wars, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong about that, but, uh, I have, still haven't watched Book of Boba Fett. I'd be he's interesting. such an interesting character, too, because, like, we don't see any other Toydarians, like, ever. Like, he's the only one, correct? I don't think we see any others uh, in anything. Well, there are some in Clone Wars. Yeah. That's, uh, but okay. in in the movies, no. I don't think we've ever... I, I'm trying to remember if there's one in Solo that shows up, but I don't think so. Um, but, yeah. Well, I actually... There's a different side character in here that I also don't have listed the voice actor for, but I think would make an excellent uh, Disney Plus series, and we'll talk about that when we get there. 
Yeah, I, like, I'm not saying Watto's a great character. Obviously, he's definitely not. But, like, he's definitely a fascinating character. Yeah. No. Uh, he'd be an interesting... Like, I'd like to see him more in more things. They could probably do maybe, like, a kid's animated show with Watto in it or something. Like, how they did, like, Rebels and all and all that. Especially because we keep going back to Tatooine and things. And... Yeah. I don't know if we have, a, like, a distinct how long Toydarians live, but, like, we can always fudge those numbers yeah. and make Watto still alive. Like... Exactly. Well, that's, like, uh, in uh, Empire, when Yoda said that he was 900 years old, it's like, man, he is old. But then when Grogu shows up and he's fifty, it's and he's still a baby. It's like, how does how do the, that species age? Like, because Yoda seems so old at nine hundred, but Grogu's still a baby at fifty. Like, how does that species age exactly? <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, let's let's dive into the plot. There is unrest in the Galactic Senate. Several thousand solar systems have declared their intention to leave the Republic. This separatist movement, under the leadership of the mysterious Count Dooku who is only mysterious to us, the audience, not not the people. Anybody who, else. Yeah, Everybody they, knows who he is. <laughs> exactly. Uh, has made it difficult for the limited number of Jedi Knights to maintain peace and order in the galaxy. Senator Amidala, the former Queen of Naboo, is returning to the Galactic Senate to vote on the critical issue of creating a army of the Republic to assist the overwhelmed Jedi. So upon her arrival on Coruscant, Senator Padme Amidala narrowly escapes an assassination attempt that claims the life of her decoy, Corday. As a result, Supreme Chancellor Sheev Palpatine requests that the Jedi Knight Obi-Wan Kenobi and his apprentice Anakin Skywalker protect her. And I wrote, my first note here says, I actually like the opening shot of the starships approaching Coruscant. The way that the city planet is lit up from space is just beautiful, in my opinion. It is a really nice scene. Yeah. I think this movie starts out being a fairly okay movie and just kind of plummets as we go along. Yeah. Well, I didn't write this until my final notes, but um, I think the problem of this movie, the biggest problem of this movie is that it doesn't have an A, B, and C story. It has an A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Like, there's too many storylines going on at once. And we get a little snippet of each. Like... Count Dooku, a former Jedi who's now leading the Separatist movement. That Which is was... an interesting thing. Yeah. We barely get any of that. Yeah, that's fascinating. And, like, I find the politics between, like, Amidala and all that interesting, but we also just kind of... It's like, up, oh, there's an assassination attempt. Yeah. Up, oh, there's another one. Yeah. Up, oh, like, for all the action in this film, there's not enough story to kind of... Hold it together. Hold it together yep. along the way. I would agree. Uh... And I also wrote down in the meeting between the Jedi Council and Palpatine, Mace Windu says that their intelligence led them to believe that spice miners on the moon of, Ni- of Naboo were behind the assassination attempt. So my question is, what intelligence? <laughs> like, why, why, would that ha- why would they gather that information? And then Windu further states that Dooku was once a Jedi and could not assassinate anyone. Because uh, Amidala says that Count Dooku's behind it. I, I just wrote, WTF, Mace? Like... Because he was a Jedi, he couldn't assassinate. No, Jedi kill people all the time. Like, also, like, see, that brings a lot of questions of like how, like, Count Dooku seems to be very like he's out of the order now. How did that happen? Like, that's the thing that like, I don't. This is the first time we really get a Jedi not being part of the order still, and so like that's fascinating. Like you said, that's a fascinating. But like, well, why doesn't he? Why isn't he part of the Jedi anymore? Like, why did he leave? And why are you acting like he couldn't assassinate anything? Like, he's not a Jedi anymore. Yeah, well, that, that's, the, that's the thing that, I, like, okay, so we train you to be a magical wizard with uh, a lightsaber. Like, you can stop any, nothing in the galaxy is a threat to you. And now, like, it's a religious order. And now you want to leave leave this religion? Okay, well, the policy is we cut your head off now. Like, we can't have you out there being a rogue Jedi. Like, it, it doesn't make sense to me. But they're not even treating him like a rogue Jedi so much as they're, like, treating him like a politician who's just yeah. a wayward politician. They're not treating him like, ah, he was one of us and he betrayed us, which is... Well, the backstory that I know on Dooku was that he's from the royal family that ruled over... His home planet. I can't remember the name of the of the planet. And when he started develop or when he started showing skills in the Force, his father, who was superstitious of the Jedi, was like, "No, get rid of him. Like throw him out. Like he literally threw him out into the wilderness." 
and some Jedi found him. I can't remember exactly the exact details, or maybe the Jedi sensed him or something, but they came and took him, raised him and everything, and then his brother became the leader of the planet after the father died, and he was this awful, terrible person, so Dooku went back to the planet and killed his brother and took over being the leader and, like, gave up being a Jedi, like, because he was on the, the Jedi Council and everything, and he killed his brother and was like, I have to help the people of my planet, so I can't be a Jedi anymore. But like, it's just I don't. We're we're I don't know. Dooku's backstory back then it might be totally different now. It might be something completely else. But that's what I remember Dooku's backstory being. Um, and somewhere in the in the meantime, he was both trained by Yoda and he trained Qui Gon Jinn. Um, but anyway. I also have a note here saying that we previously discussed how awful George Lucas George Lucas's dialogue is, and it is, but Hayden Christensen is really bad at his line deliveries. Like, I, when I was watching the movie, it was like, this is like the first time he's read the lines, like he's saying them as he's reading them pretty much. Like everyone else in the film, they delivered the awful dialogue very well, but Hayden Christensen is just so stiff. His physical acting, I think, is good. But like his line delivery, he gets better in the next movie. But his line delivery in this, I was just like, oh my god! Like it's literally the first like time he that doesn't re- want to be there. Yeah. <laughs> like... yeah. And I also have a note here saying Jar Jar's "fu" look to the audience because he ha- stares down the camera at the audience and smiles, saying, "Yep, I'm still here. I'm still in still these here. movies. I'm yep. Still here, goddammit. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Even though he has really no business being here at no. this point, like no. That night, the assassin. Zam Westwell, a Claudite female bounty hunter played by Liana Walsman, makes another attempt on Amidala's life. Though the Jedi are able to foil the plot, they pursue her through the galactic city, eventually disarming her in the outer er, the out in the Outerland Club. And during Zam's second assassination attempt, as she was the one who tried to blow up the Naboo or did blow up the Naboo starship, she just didn't kill Amidala when she did it. Obi-Wan and Anakin have an off-screen conversation that I never noticed before, and with the closed caption on, I read Obi-Wan warning Anakin about trusting Padme because she's a politician, and politicians only serve the special interests of the people who donate to their campaign. Truly, Obi-Wan is the wisest Jedi Master. (laughs) No? Nothing to say to that? No. Okay. I'm done with politics today. People, it is also the Tuesday of the primaries. Oh, in Pennsylvania. Yeah, Yeah. politics is not on the docket for today. Okay. Well, I think Star Wars politics is... uh, George has some messages that he tries to put out there, and most of the time he does it fairly well. Other times he fails terribly (laughs) at it. Um, But during the chase scene, Anakin claims to already rival Master Yoda as a swordsman. And I wrote down that this is what happens when you tell an eight-year-old that they are the chosen one. <laughs> like, they grow up with this attitude that they're the greatest. Like, same thing happens to Harry Potter. Same thing happens I'm to... I'm the chosen one. <laughs> yeah, I'm the, I'm the best. It's got to be me. But I am the chosen <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. And slap. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, also, Anakin is hanging on... Uh, when Anakin is hanging on Zam's speeder, why doesn't she just try spinning? That's a good trick. Like, she could have gotten him right off of there, but no, no, no one flies in three-dimensional space. Plot. That's why. Plot. <laughs> it's my criticism from last time that no one flies in three-dimensional space except Poe Dameron. He's the only one. Upon being questioned by Obi-Wan and Anakin outside the bar, Zam is killed by a saber dart fired by a mysterious man before the Jedi can learn the name of her employer. And I, my note here is, so Zam's species, Claudites, can literally turn into anything. Not just humanoids, but anything like doors or lamps or whatever, there is no reason that she should not have been able to escape the Jedi pursuing her. And I'll also give Jango Fett credit on the timing of uh, the timing that shot perfectly. Right when Zam was about to say his name, boom, dead. Like, he's, she's like, oh, I was hired by... Oh. <laughs> Literally, perfect timing. <laughs> Returning to the Jedi Temple, Obi-Wan is assigned by the Council to track down the Assassin's Killer, Meanwhile, Anakin continues his task of protecting the senator and is asked to escort her back to her home planet of Naboo. So moving forward, the summary kind of just followed Obi-Wan first and then followed Anakin's stories. It didn't cut back and forth. So that's just what I'm going to go with here. Works Uh, for me. Yeah. And I wrote down that I love uh, how Yoda is on that little 
floating pad when Mace and Obi-Wan are walking through the Jedi Temple. I know, temple. I love that. And yeah. it reminds me of Grogu now, too. Like It's just because his little legs wouldn't be able to keep up with them while they're walking. Like I, I thought, I was like, oh, that's cute. Um, but you're right, it does remind you of Grogu, yeah. That's just how the Yoda species travels. Yeah. Which In I, style. <laughs> exactly. Um, so Anakin welcomes the opportunity as he often becomes angry and frustrated by Obi-Wan's criticism. Again, what happens when you're told you're the chosen one at eight years old, and is glad to have the opportunity to be on his own. Further, he has become infatuated with Padme and relishes the chance to spend time with her. Her junior representative, Jar Jar Binks, assumes the senator's duties in her absence. Who made Jar Jar Binks the junior representative? I mean, really, he can like barely have a conversation. And we were like, yep, Jar Jar Binks. I mean, on paper... He was a general during the Naboo slash trade. There's got to be better Gungans to use. Like, I get if she's trying to, like, use a Gungan, pick a different one. You're not wrong. M- maybe the Gungans chose them themselves. Like, they don't really understand the Galactic Senate. You see and... the space? Yeah, I do. But um... good, good point. They chose him to send them away. Yeah. Like, don't yeah, like get him. rid of them. Yeah, like exactly. Like, the rest of us don't. Yeah. Obi-Wan takes the dart to a good friend of his, Dex... Dexter Jepster at his diner. Dexter informs him that it is a Camino dart due to the symbols on it. And this is the side character I was talking about before. I wrote, where is the Dexter Jester Disney Plus series? Like, seriously, imagine Cheers, but set on Coruscant in this diner. Like, you could have these fascinating characters come in there. It it would be great. I think it would be great. Even if it's like a little kid-friendly series, I think it would be great. And he's an interesting enough-looking character. Obi-Wan then heads to the Jedi archives to find out more about Kamino, but it doesn't show up in the archives. Jocasta New, the Jedi librarian, says that it, if it does not show up in the archives, it does not exist. And my only note that I wrote here was Jocasta New in the comics. Um, I don't know if you know anything about her storyline. They kind of flesh her mm-hmm. out more. So after Order 66, uh, at some point, the Palpatine orders Vader to go and get the list that the Jedi have of all the Force-sensitive children that are born in the galaxy, because he wants to, you know, turn them into Sith. And Vader goes to the library, because that's where it's stored and everything, and he actually gets um, into a lightsaber battle with Jocasta New. And as they're fighting throughout the library, she's, like, calling him, like, lackey and all this, these other things. And they go through some sort of thing that recognizes their DNA, and it says, Welcome, Master Skywalker. And Jocasta New is like, oh, f- you. <laughs> like, she gets so... And, like, they have this epic, like, lightsaber battle and everything. And I don't remember exactly how it ends. Either he kills her, but she manages to protect the records, or he kills her, and then he... I can't remember if she takes the records with... Because she falls, like, off the building, and the records get destroyed. And I can't remember if she manages to do that, or if he still has them, and then he's just like... Mm, I don't want to have a rival apprentice and he destroys them, like throws them up. But it's just, they, they, like, it was kind of a cool thing to do, like to have this very small side character in the movies show up in the comics and have this epic fight with Vader and like realize who he is and everything. And like, it, it, it was just a cool moment. But also, you have any opinion about being a Jedi librarian or anything like, like that? I would love to be a Jedi librarian. <laughs> yeah. Much cooler than being a regular librarian. I think being a regular librarian is pretty cool. Obi-Wan goes to see Master Yoda, who is teaching some younglings, and asks them why Master Kenobi cannot find his missing planet. One suggests that it was purposely removed from the archives, which turns out to be true. Obi-Wan is led to the mysterious planet called Kamino, where he discovers a secret clone army being developed for the Republic. He is told by Prime Minister Lama Su that the army was ordered almost ten years ago by Jedi Master Sifo Diaz, Although Obi-Wan was under the impression that Sifo-Diaz was killed before that time. That's a whole backstory that is intricate. But needless to say, um, I always assumed that Dooku took the place of Sifo-Diaz and did all this stuff. No, it actually was Sifo-Diaz who ordered... The, like, the, like I looked I looked it up because I forgot what actually happened. It actually was Sifo-Diaz who ordered the army. Of course and, it was. And Dooku faked Sifo-Diaz. They were friends and he faked his death at one point, but then he actually really did die. So we put him on this different planet to be discovered. It was really intricate and detailed that I'm not going to go into here, but very strange. Um, a bounty hunter named Jango Fett was hired as the template for for the clones. 
Obi-Wan meets Django on Kamino and believes him to be the killer he has been tracking. Uh, So my first note here is, why the hell does Django live on Kamino? In addition to the substantial pay that that the Kaminos gave him and the one unaltered clone, they also had to give him a place to live? I guess so. And maybe to watch him, you know, keep an eye on him. Pop, uh, yeah, I guess if something goes wrong with the clones, too, maybe they would need another... Yeah, they want to, like, grab Django again. Yeah, or maybe he gets a disease, so it's something to look out for, in the, like a genetic disease, so it's something to look out for in the clones. Maybe. And I wrote down here that the backstory Django gives Obi-Wan about meeting a man named Tyrannus on one of the moons of uh, Bog- Bogdan is true. Duco introduced himself as Tyrannus and hired him for the job, so I... You know, I, the way that it's portrayed in the movie, it kind of seems like Django's lying, but he's actually telling the truth. See, I think it's supposed to be one of those things where, like, later on when Dooku, like, reveals that he's Tyrannus, he's supposed to be, <gasps> yeah. but, like, by then you're already, like, not even thinking about the fact that, like, this conversation happened, like, literally an hour ago. Yeah. Like, No, you're right. That's something, too, that I, we didn't bring up. I feel I, this movie tries to make reveals, like, ooh, but, like... Well, Again, it happens so far away from here that like when we when we get to the Lars family in a in a few moments, I want to discuss Jedi names and Sith names and everything like that. So I forgot to put it in my notes, but I'll bring it up then. Obi Wan tries to capture Django, which leads to a and this was in the summary quote unquote Titanic one on one fight between them. Django uses his blasters and missile equip- equipment managing to defeat Obi-Wan by sending him plummeting into the raging sea below. Thinking he is dead, Django departs for Kamino with his son Boba. Which, technically, not your son, just a clone of you, <laughs> but, you know, whatever. Um, unable to capture Django, Obi-Wan places a homing beacon on his ship, Slave One, and follows him to the planet of Genosis. I'll give George Lucas credit on the detail of Django Fett hitting his head on Slave One's doorway as he enters it, it's a hilarious callback to the original Star Wars Stormtrooper doing the same thing. They fleshed out that some of the Stormtroopers in um, Episode 4 were still clones that were left over from the Clone Wars and everything. So that's why that Stormtrooper hits his head on the doorway and Jango Fett does the same thing here. Ha ha ha. But it's a little detail that I'm like, all right, I'll give you credit on that. And when Obi-Wan arrives on Geonosis and says to R4 that there is an unusual concentration of federate ships there are for i love r4's little sarcastic beeping sounds like he's like yeah i see them too jackass <laughs> like they fly over them and he's like oh r4 there's a large concentration of federation ships there and he's just like r beep, like... beep 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 <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so this line cracked me up when i was reading it meanwhile anakin and padme have been spending time together on naboo enjoying each other's company and playfully frolicking in the fields. Ah, yes. Frolicking. <laughs> mm-hmm. Eventually, Anakin reveals his deep love for her, vowing to do whatever she requests. So, everyone has already discussed how creepy Anakin is, and why does Padme fall for him? The only thing that I want to add is that I think the reason Anakin has no game is because he's been training to be the greatest sexless monk for the past ten years, so I'm going to give him a small break on that. And also, Padme has been involved in galactic po- uh, politics this whole time, so she's not exactly well-versed in the ways of love either. Okay, uh, okay, hold on. Yeah. But, like, if you're involved in politics, half of politics, especially if you're, like, opposite sexes, is using your body to be, like, you can't tell me that she's not using herself. Not, so, like, not in Star Wars. No one has sex in Star Wars unless they're a sex slave. Those are the only people that have sex in Star Wars. Um... <laughs> And I just want to say I'm sorry to all the Rush Clovis fans out there. That's a Clone Wars character that Padme definitely lost her virginity to. Um, she, he shows up in a couple episodes of the Clone Wars and Anakin's like, mm, don't like Padme being around this guy. <laughs> um, but And uh, I just, my final note for that was just that Anakin and Padme are just two young, sexy people who end up hooking up. Like, it, it was just bound to happen. Like... If they had swapped, Hormones. yeah. If they had swapped roles and Obi Wan was protecting Padme, I don't think it would have happened. But maybe um, Padme resists Anakin's adv- advancements, explaining that it would be impossible for the two of them to be together since she is a senator and he is a Jedi. Anakin is enraged by this and, expre- and experiences inner conflict between his strong desire for her and his duties as a Jedi. 
And there's a lot of discussion in this film. My note here says there's a lot of discussion in this film about democracy. But at the same time, Padme has a throw, throwaway line about how the new queen appointed her to be Naboo's senator after her two terms as queen were over. So my question is, where's the democracy? No one voted for Padme. She was picked by the queen. Who picks the queen? And the Senate is trying to keep uh, star systems from choosing to leave the Republic. Where is the democracy? Like, if people are choosing to do things, then they should Especially be Especially if they're choosing to leave, maybe you yeah. should look inward and go, why are they leaving? Yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously, this is just great plot by Palpatine. But yeah. Like... Oh, yeah, because no matter what happened, no matter what the result of the war between the Federation and the Republic being, he would have come out on top. Like, no, it was, it was a good plot by him, you're right. Furthermore, Anakin is also troubled by a newfound sense that his mother is in grave danger, and he beckons for Padme to accompany him to his home planet of Tatooine, in the process disobeying Obi-Wan's orders to remain on Naboo. Which, by the way, if I'm trying to assassinate a senator and she's not on Coruscant, I'm going to assume that she's on her home planet. <laughs> like, yeah, like, why wouldn't you take her to some random yeah, dirt water planet In the outer like, rim, yeah. controlled by the huts. Like, you know, it, it would, I think Naboo would have been a better place for her to hide. Upon arriving, Anakin tracks down his former owner, Watto, who we now know who voiced him and everything, uh, from whom he learns his mother has married a moisture farmer named Kleeg Lars and travels to the Lars moisture farm. So I wanted to mention before, when I said with the Lars family, originally, before George did the prequels, there was very, very little written about Star Wars pre-Episode 4. Um, but one of the things that some... I'm trying to remember what book it was now. I can't remember. I, it's not going to come to me. But it was alluded that Owen was actually Obi-Wan's brother, not Anakin's stepbrother. And Obi-Wan changed his name from Ben to obi-wan when he like he converted to being a jedi and like kind of like how in catholicism when you become a priest or a nun you have to change your name that's why he's obi-wan but also ben kenobi at the same time and you know we see examples with the sith when you become a sith you get a sith name you become darth sidious darth tyrannus darth vader darth maul like i don't know what maul's name was originally but, but uh I, I don't know, it's just something I wanted to bring up that the original idea was for Ben and Owen to be brothers, which I kind of like that dynamic, but eh, whatever. George decided to go a different route. I also have a note here saying there are a couple of Star Wars legends that address that address Shmi Skywalker's story after Anakin leaves Tatooine. One is that Padme sent a handmaiden to infiltrate the planet and free the slaves. Didn't work out for that handmaiden, she ended up getting killed. And another involves Baru actually, and I wrote quote-unquote tricking, because that I really don't like that word, but I couldn't think of anything better, Kleeg Lars into falling in love with Shmi so that he would buy her and free her. It's more just like they were, I can't remember, Mos Eisley, it wasn't Mos Eisley, it's some other city, but they were there and she, shot, see, she Baru, saw Shmi and was like, oh, wouldn't it be nice for you to have her around and help you? What's like... She didn't really trick him, but she was like, I don't like this lady being a slave. Like, I got to figure out how to get her free. And it kind of fleshes out Baru's character because in George Lucas's canon, women are the mothers, wives, or sisters of the important people in the galaxy. You know, they don't, they don't really do anything. They're just there. They're just there. Yeah. But there, Anakin and Padme find C-3PO. The droid introduces Anakin to his stepbrother, Owen. Kleeg tells Anakin the horrible truth that his mother was kidnapped a month ago by a pack of Tusken Raiders. And everyone discusses how Obi-Wan doesn't remember R2 in Episode 4, but why doesn't Owen remember C-3PO? He worked on the moisture farm for nearly 10 years until Anakin and Padme steal him, and then 20 years later, he shows up and Owen buys him from the Jawas. Like, why doesn't he remember C-3PO? That's a good question. Yeah. Anakin travels through the night and finds his mother tied and beaten by are tied and beaten in a Tuscan camp. Within moments, she dies in his arms. Enraged and heartbroken, he massacres the Tuscan raiders. Every single one of them. And not just the men, but the women. And the children, too. They were like animals. And he slaughtered them like animals. He hates them. Yeah. Sorry, I thought that might get a crack. No. <laughs> yeah, all right. Um, there was a deleted plot point from episode three that was going to be that Dooku revealed in his duel with Anakin that he actually hired the Tusken Raiders to kidnap Shmi and torture her. That would be interesting. Yeah, and it would fuel more of his cutting off Dooku's head rather than Duke or rather than uh, 
Palpatine just saying, do it, and he does it. Um, also, I wrote down John Williamson's musical score never fails, and the shots of Anakin hunting down the Tuscans, who took his mother, are awesome. And once again, Hayden Christensen's physical acting is great, but his line delivery is, is awful. That's why his silent anger and rage building in these scenes works, but when he talks about his anger, it doesn't. And I also wrote that I feel like his line delivery greatly improves in the next movie. Okay. I find the Tuscan stuff interesting, too, because I know you haven't really watched the Book of Boba Fett, mm-hmm. but Boba kind of lives with the Tuscans for a while. Mm-hmm. I know that's way after this point, but, like, it's interesting to see, like, that dynamic versus just sheer hate for the Tuscans when yeah. you have Boba kind of living peacefully amongst them and being one with them. Yeah. Well, I love that, that uh, I think it's a Family Guy joke, where uh, Obi-Wan is calling the Tusken Raider sand people, and Luke goes, whoa, okay, racist, <laughs> like, chill, man, <laughs> like, it, 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 it's a good joke, like, it's just, you know, they're, they're a society, like, they're a remote, out there in the desert society, but they they have their own society, like, that, that would be something that I would look forward to watching the Book of Boba Fett for, finding out more about them and how they live. I think that's probably one of the more interesting things. Mm. Where the Book of Boba Fett goes wrong is everything that happens like after the Mandalorian, basically, mm. where we end with him mm. taking over. Didn't yeah. the Tusken Raiders help, too, when uh, Mando was on Tatooine and he had to fight that big sandworm? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. We kind of learned, like, I think this is really showing that, like, Tusken Raiders and the newer stuff that are, like, they're just kind of a weird... Nomad people that mm. just, they hunt, they kill, and they mostly kill to protect themselves more than anything. So I would totally believe that they kidnapped me or she got too close and they yeah. took her, you know? like Well, they're, they're I mean, George took a lot from Dune, so they're kind of like the, um, oh, I can't remember what they're called right now, but the people with the blue eyes in Dune. I literally just yeah. watched that too. I should yeah. know the answer to that. Yeah, the ones that live on Arrakis. Um, oh, well. You and the, you listening knows, and you're screaming at us right now what their names are. Um, but back on Coruscant, Yoda senses a terrible darkness in the Force as the slaughter continues, and Qui-Gon Jinn's voice can be heard shouting, "Anakin, Anakin, no!" During the scene, Anakin then brings his mother's body his mother's body back to the homestead where her funeral is held. So here's an example of George Lucas's weird dialogue. He has Padme walk into Anakin's little room, which interestingly enough becomes luke's room in the future and she asks him what's wrong like the dude literally just carried his dead mother back (laughs) and and i'm like what do you think is wrong like okay i'm gonna say this as somebody uh for you viewers i work as an obituary clerk so i write and edit obituaries and i do stupid things all the time today i asked the family i was like how are you today, sir? And he's like, well, my mom died. So, like, you know what? I'm just trying to be friendly and talk and get some quiet, casual conversation. Sometimes you say stupid things when you're being awkward or you're just trying to, like... But that's you as a human being in real life. You're not controlling what <laughs> fictional characters are sa- and have months and years to think about what this fictional character is going to say <coughs> in this moment. You know, like, it's just, George writes bad dialogue. There's no getting around it. He has good ideas, but he writes terrible dialogue. <laughs> On Geonosis, Obi-Wan overhears a meeting between Count Dooku and the leaders of the Commerce Guilds and learns that they are behind the Separatist movement and have built up a new droid army. He also learns that it was Newt Gunray who ordered the assassination of Amidala as revenge for the defeat of the Trade Federation at the Battle of Naboo. So Obi-Wan inadvertently is the greatest detective. Like, he didn't have to do much. He just had to hear them talk about it, which they did out loud. And I have a fun fact here. The design for the Geonosians was actually the original design for the Trade Federation members. This is why the battle droids have those long noses and, like, the the head shape and everything, because it looks Mm -hmm. like the Geonosians. Um, But moving along... Obi-Wan transmits his findings to the Council, relayed uh, by way of Anakin and Padme's ship. Though he is, or though he is surrounded by droidicas and captured before he can finish his report. And my note here is: I love how Obi-Wan waited like two seconds to transmit a message uh, to Anakin on Naboo, 
before he gave up on him being there. It was like, dude, you're transmitting a signal through space. Give it a minute. Like he's literally like R four R four transmit to uh, Anakin on Naboo. Oh, he's not there. Okay, go wider. Like it was like, dude, give it a minute. Like, but I guess he was right. Now that the Jedi Council knows of Dooku's army, Jedi Master Mace Windu leads a, batil- a battalion of Jedi to Geonosis. Unbeknownst to them, Anakin and Padme also make their way there to rescue Obi-Wan. Meanwhile, Representative Binks calls for, the chance- for Chancellor Palpatine to be given emergency powers, with which he can call the recently discovered clone army into battle, just a, just a great idea. You find this secret... Oh, and again, let's just trust Binks with this. Why does he even have the authority to do this? Yeah. Well, it's also just like, oh, we found out that there's this secret army that none of us knew about over there. Uh, yeah, let's use them in battle. Like, there's no possibility they could betray us or anything. Or maybe there's some sort of order Fuck that they're anything. given that just turns them on us and everything. Um but a uh, small note here, the original idea behind Palpatine's emperor appearance was to have that the dark side was corrupting him physically. That's why he looks way older in this movie than he did in episode one. While 10 years have passed, he looks like he's aged about 30. That's what George's original idea was, to just have him like becoming more and more decrepit because of the dark side. But then in the third movie, he's like, nah, lightning. <laughs> His own lightning powers made him look that old and ugly and everything. Um... Back on Geonosis, Count Dooku tries to persuade Obi-Wan to join him, warning him that Darth Sidious is now in control of the Senate. Obi-Wan refuses to believe him, saying that the Jedi would have known if that was the case. And I wrote down that I feel like Dooku's plea to Obi-Wan is legitimate. He, he does have issues with the Republic and the Jedi Order, but he also wants what's best for the galaxy, in his opinion. He's not evil like the Sith typically are, and he also does seem to genuinely miss Qui-Gon Jinn. I feel like Dooku's probably, like, borderline gray Jedi, like, yeah. like doing bad things for good reasons. Yeah. Well, it's not even, like, he he's the leader of the Separatist movement, but it's not like he's, like, I want to control the galaxy. He, he probably doesn't want to kill small children. No. Like, he's just, like... <laughs> unlike some people. Unlike some people <laughs> in these movies. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. Um, he, he doesn't seem to be corrupted by the dark side. Like, he's using it to get what he wants, and he's interested in it, but it's... He's not, he's not like the typical Sith are. Anakin and Padme arrive on the planet, but are quickly captured by Jango Fett and are sentenced to death, joining Obi-Wan in the Geonosis arena, where they are to be executed. And I wrote down that a lot of plot summaries I found online generally skipped over the droid factory scene... And every single one of them skipped over the uh, C-3PO storyline here. So I will too. <laughs> yeah, it's It was an unnecessary plot that I think George thought kids would laugh at. Like, it's kind of stupid and silly. But before entering the arena, Padme confesses her love to Anakin and the two kiss. And I wrote, boy, that came out of nowhere. The plot needed it to happen, so it did. Like, it, it's the most ungenuine love story I think I've ever seen in a movie. Like... I, I feel like I'd believe it if, like, it was next movie and then they first said I love you and their kiss happened, like, next movie. Like, we yeah. were left waiting to see, like, where would their romance lead? Well, you said in the previous episode, well, we both agreed in the previous episode that Anakin should have been older in the first movie. Like, he should have already been a Padawan training and everything. And when they meet, and if they had met then, kind of hinted at a romance, then this one, they do have a romance, and then the next one... Yeah, like, the first movie, he could have been awkward trying to impress her with stupid shit, and, like, yeah. like he's kind of trying to do with the racing stuff, but, like, he's not a child then. Yeah. Like it would have made more sense for character development. Agreed. And you could just change it so that ten years hasn't passed, it's been a couple of years that passed, like, you could just condense the storyline. Yeah. Also said it makes more sense, because, like, when ten years pass, it's like cool she still looks exactly the same like she did from the first movie and he has aged because it's a different actor right well i don't know like the aging up there doesn't work agreed in the high stands count dooku newt gunray rune hanko pago the lesser jango fett and boba fett all action figures available now watch (laughs) watch the start of the plan execution the trio, the trio are forced to battle a Reek, the weird trihorned, like, red and white thing, a Nexu, the lizard tiger I wrote down, that's what I see it as, 
and an aqua, the praying mantis thing, while in chains. And I wrote down that I actually think the look and design of these three creatures holds up, but the background of the arena looks awful. Yeah, I feel like this is a great iconic scene in what it does, but like you just have to ignore 90% of the CGI and the design going on around yeah. it. Agreed. During their struggle, Mace Windu arrives with his Jedi strike team, and they battle Dooku's droid army in the arena. Upon seeing so many Jedi in one place, Jango Fett jetpacks down to the arena, fo- arena floor and engages Windu. After a short struggle, Windu manages to kill Jango due to his jetpack malfunctioning. And, small note here, in the original theatrical release, no effects were present on, were present on Fett's jetpack so fans complained about his lame death. George Lucas had sparks added as well as Fett attempting to take off as Windu approached him to show that the jetpack was malfunctioning. It's one of those little, let me go back in there and fix this things that he did that I'm like, okay, that's fine. Because Jango Fett does get trampled by the uh, reek. He gets trampled by the reek, and that's why his jetpack doesn't work. Oddly enough, you know, 30 years later, his son would also have jetpack issues, but let's move on. While the Jedi put up a fight they are eventually overwhelmed by the droid the droid army's numerical advantage and appear to be heading to defeat yoda unexpectedly arrives with the republic's new clone army but only a handful of jedi have survived 169 jedi are killed in this battle and then here's something interesting that i didn't know about this movie until looking up facts about it in december 2001 it was rumored that members of nsync were filmed as extras in attack of the clones in the following days, the story gained momentum, and it was reported that three band members, Joey Fatone, J.C. J. C. Chazé, and Chris Kirkpatrick, were given parts as Jedi and Naboo citizens by producer Rick McCollum. Lucasfilm later confirmed the news, but denied the rumor that it was done by George Lucas as a favor to his daughters Katie and Amanda, who were fans of the band. Yeah, right, George. He totally did it as a favor for them. Also... Justin Timberlake acknowledged that he and Lance Bass were not involved, but Joey Fatone's brother Steve was. Many Star Wars fans reacted negatively to the news, many seeing this incident as further evidence of Star Wars quote-unquote selling out, similar to some of Star Wars' fans' reactions to Jar Jar Binks or the Ewoks. Joey Fatone later announced that the singer's parts had been cut from the film because of the negative fan reaction. However, Lucasfilm's Lin Hal Hal denied this, saying that it was up to Lucas and that the final edit of the film is what he determines it will be. So, we've always had toxic Star Wars fans. It's It's not a new phenomenon. Go back up because I was going to say something, but I don't remember exactly. Up more? No, you're good. Okay. That's a lot, I was going to say, that's a lot of Jedi to be killed. Considering that, like, we've already established, there's not a lot of Jedi, apparently. And that's why they need a stupid army to begin with. Yeah. And yet, here we are, 169 of them just died. Like... Well, it's funny. One of the things I found in doing research for this was that at the start of the Clone Wars, there were 10,000 Jedi. Which sounds like a lot. However, I think there's 40 quadrillion star systems... In the Galactic Republic, which is just mm. an unfathomable number. Yes. But it it's like, okay, so there are 10,000 Jedi, which are a lot. But when they have to police 40,000 quadrillion or 40 whatever. It's not like, enough. Yeah, it's not enough. So, but they have enough for an army would be my thought. Like if you were going to call everyone back yeah. to have an army. Well, there's, there's, and granted still, I don't know if this is canonical anymore, but there's uh, comics where... Vader, Order 66 doesn't kill all the Jedi. And one of the first things that the Emperor has Vader do is go around hunting down the Jedi that have survived. So he goes to different planets and kills different Jedi members and stuff. And that's actually, no, it is canonical because it was after Disney bought it. And, um, oh, I don't remember any of their names, but that's actually how he gets his lightsaber because he doesn't have the red lightsaber. He has to kill a Jedi. One of the things that the Sith have to do is kill a Jedi take the crystal from their lightsaber and corrupt it. And that's how he gets his red lightsaber. But, um, you know, I don't know. Uh, 169 of them did buy, die in this battle, though. Which, like, it, it, it's supposed to show... I, I didn't get this feeling, but I've seen people discuss this. It's su- supposed to show how unprepared the Jedi were for this battle to come. Like, they're supposed to be these mythic warriors. And 
this is again another problem i have with mando season two luke skywalker just cutting down all those droids that are like like they're he's cutting through swiss cheese like it's like it's like nothing so you can't have jedi that are super weak and overwhelmed by droids and then also have one jedi have like people like mace windu and other people that are great at fighting all the time and seem to take no hits yeah I mean, like, if you want to have... Uh, I don't even want to get into it. <laughs> but I, I don't know what else to say about that. It, it's just the Jedi weren't prepared. It's supposed to show what the Jedi... I never got that feeling, but it's what other people have said, and I can understand that. So, moving again, I don't like this movie. <laughs> but moving on. An even larger battle erupts outside the arena between the Republic's clone army and the droid army of the Confederacy of Independent Systems. Newt Gunray and Rune Hako subsequently retreat in Gunray's ship. The clone army gains the upper hand, which eventually leads to the droid army retreating. Poggle the Lesser entrusts Count Dooku with the early plans for the Death Star. Dooku's attempt to, Dooku attempts to escape, but Obi-Wan and Anakin track him to a secret hangar, where they engage him in combat. And I wrote down Obi-Wan's line about facing Dooku, Anakin and I can handle this. I wrote down, no the f- you can't <laughs> like, and it's shown in just a few moments unfortunately they are no match for dooku's now revealed mastery of the dark side and lightsaber combat style fun little note here dooku uses form 2 also known as makasa i believe i'm saying makasi i don't makashi. know makashi thank you and that is the elegant form of lightsaber battle and it involves not wasting movement. Like, every movement you make is important. That's the way Dooku fights. Uh, He fires Force Lightning at Anakin, injures Obi-Wan, and cuts off Anakin's right arm. Yoda appears just as Dooku is about to escape, and the two masters of the Force go head-to-head in a a fierce duel. Now, I know most people have an issue with Yoda engaging in a lightsaber fight, but I surprisingly don't. I remember when I first saw this movie, everyone in the theater started cheering when Yoda pulled out his little hilt and began jumping around. So Yeah, I think it's badass. Oh, like, the people that get annoyed by that, like, what are you talking about? Seeing, it's like, yeah, you go, Yoda! Yeah, like they're, they're like, oh, Yoda's supposed to be so far beyond, like, lightsaber battles. Like, he's a... And I'm like, but it's super cool scene. <laughs> but there's also an entire battle going on. Like, yeah. Like, what we know of him from the other movies is that he's more of a sage kind of thing, but, right. like, he can't be sage like here. He has to fight. The only thing about it that makes me wonder is, is he using the Force to be super athletic and hop around like that, and the rest of the time he's decrepit and weak and everything, or is he faking being weak and decrepit and moving slowly so that when he fights people, it's like this? I don't know. What do you you think? I could see him faking it. Yeah. Yoda's a trickster. (laughs) Yeah, you know, exactly. He's a trickster. Jedi. No Jedi here. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. What's a Jedi? (laughs) Exactly. You're right. He he, he probably is faking the whole, like, oh, I'm so old. I'm 900 years old. I have to use this cane. That that could further explain why Groku's a baby. Maybe 900 in their species (laughs) is, like, 13 or something. (laughs) So... (laughs) <coughs> Yoda's super Yoda's a teenager yeah he's super packed and full of energy and he's just like oh I'm so old and decrepit and then <laughs> you know? he's like bang 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 yeah, yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> I, I think I think we've discovered something we've, new we figured yeah. it out yeah but Dooku realizing he can't defeat Yoda attempts to topple a large pillar on Obi-Wan and Anakin as a dist- as a distraction while Yoda uses the force to di- divert the pillar Dooku flees in his solar sailor Flying to an industrial section of Coruscant, he meets with his master, Darth Sidious, who is pleased that the war has begun as planned. And I wrote down that I think Dooku's ship design is cool, and I would love to see more of this darker place on Coruscant where he and Palpatine meet. I just thought it was cool looking. Like, he, he flies past this bright-lit city into, like, this dark industrialist area. Like, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And in the Jedi Temple, Obi-Wan, Mace, and Yoda ponder... Uh, Dooku's warning that Darth Sidious is controlling the Senate. Yoda is hesitant is hesitant to believe this, stating that the dark side is capable of fear and mistrust. He and Windu agree that they should nevertheless closely monitor the Senate. Meanwhile, Chancellor Palpatine and a number of senators, including Bail Organa, 
oversee the launching of the massive clone trooper forces. And back at Naboo, Anakin, with a new mechanical arm, and Padme hold a secret wedding, with C-3PO and R2-D2 as the only witnesses. And I wrote down, they got married, that also happened very quickly, and my guess is that this was George's attempt at something like the stories you hear about people getting married during World War II, like they're young, scared, and in love, and they thought that they might never see each other again, so they got married. So, I guess we'll move into our overall scores. And I wrote down that I don't like this movie. <laughs> oh my god. It's coarse and rough and irritating, and its themes are everywhere. Not like the originals. I'm out. I'm leaving. Everything there is everything there is refined and smooth. I quit. <laughs> but seriously, this is by far my least favorite Star Wars movie. Many people have said to me, really? You like this less than episode one? And I've always said that I've always said that they're both equally bad, but Attack of the Clones came out after The Phantom Menace, and they could have fixed the problems in between the movies, but they didn't. And in some ways they doubled down on them. However, this film is not without its highlights. The music is obviously the best part for me, but I also enjoy the lightsaber battles, and I understand the messages that George Lucas was trying to convey with this film. I just think he did a poor job of doing it. And that there are also serious issues with the story of this film. Rather than focusing on an A, B, and C storyline, there are about ten storylines in this movie. They are rushed and all over the place, in particular the Padme-Anakin love story. It is not believable in the slightest, it just happened because George Lucas needed it to. But if you enjoy this movie, or if it's your favorite Star Wars movie, which I've heard some people say, then great. My dislike of this movie doesn't discredit or take away what you enjoy about it. All that being said, I give Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, a 4 out of 10. I don't hate this movie as much as you do. I mm. don't think it's a great movie. But I also think, like, you imagine if this movie had came out at a time that we had, like, Disney Plus going on. Like, mm. we would have taken away half these stupid plot points that we didn't need. Turned them into TV shows and called it a day. Yeah. No, you're right. Because like I said, I think the beginning of this movie is good. I think the political intrigue is good. And then we should have just kind of kept along with that and maybe got some of the clone stuff and just ignored the rest of all the content in this movie. Yeah. Like, we should have literally just been following, like, Padme and Anakin stuff. And then... And then we would have gone back to Jar Jar Banks and he wouldn't be the one that was trying to get Palpatine. I'd rather put that on Padme, to be honest. Mm. Agreed. Yeah. I, would... I think that's much more of, like plot point at that point then like ah see Padme fell for it and let him I, take control I think that's a small way of George saying oh fans didn't like Jar Jar Binks okay I'll make him responsible for Palpatine yeah which again we should have just kicked Jar Jar Binks out of here you yeah. know yeah like we didn't like him we don't want more of him I mean I know in the comics or the books we find out that Jar Jar Binks kind of like life falls apart so yeah great great news for that but not on screen no i would give it a five out of ten okay the music's good what i like about this movie i do like it's just so what what maybe i'm putting you on the spot with this but what do you think is the worst star wars movie then of of the skywalker saga i'll make it smaller slightly smaller it took away two movies (laughs) how do you even know no like I feel like overall there's stuff that I don't like a lot about a lot of the movies. And okay. Then... Yeah, fair enough. I'd, I'd, I'd... Meh. I'll save it for when we cover them, but I guess... Uh, I just think that this... Is, if I'm going to criticize this for its plot being all over the point, all over the place, then I also have to criticize episode 9 for the same thing. But I also give episode 9 a little leniency because it's such a mess because people had such a bad reaction to episode 8, which I love. So, um, I don't know. I feel like a lot of these, I think this one and nine suffer from the same points of the fan had reactions and they were like, okay, we need to like work it back a little bit, but they didn't, don't really work it back in any way. They just kind of, like you said, double down in some things and then kind of like turn into a mess other ways. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, but we'll see. We'll cover those movies at some point too um down the line probably a year or so away but to be fair i also you know as a person i'm 
I'll readily admit I'm not into a lot of the like trilogy stuff or like movies. I'm much more of a one-off, one-and-done kind of person. So yeah, like I think the originals do the best job. Of, like, cause while I think they do the best job of telling an overall story, like an arc, a mm. three-movie arc. I think the rest of them. I think my feelings on the most recent trilogy are just, we didn't really need this and I'm sick of the Skywalkers. Can we f***ing get out of this shit? <laughs> like, that's my opinion. Like, I agree. And I think that's overall become my opinion about all nine movies is that, okay, but I'm like over the Skywalker thing. So even rewatching them, I'm like, I don't really like any of them. Not in the sense that I don't like them, but like, I'm over the Skywalkers and like, yeah. Even with something like, you know, I can't wait for the Oberon show, but I know it's going to be so much Skywalker shit in that too, and I'm going to be like, God damn it, are we done? Yeah. Are we done? Yeah. Like, I think that's what made Mandalorian season one good, is we were like, ah, we're away from these goddamn Skywalkers, finally. I, I agree. <laughs> that that was my, I had a lot of issues with season two of Mando, but to clarify, I don't like Samuel, <laughs> I don't like Samuel Jackson as an actor. Um, I think he's just Samuel Jackson in everything, even in Star Wars, where he's supposed to be, yep. you know, emotionless. He's raged all the time. But that being said, I would have loved it if season two of Mando ended with Mace Windu showing up and rescuing them rather than Luke Skywalker. Because as soon as Luke Skywalker showed up, I was like, God damn it. Like, yeah, can't we get away I, from the Skywalkers? Exactly. It's a big galaxy. <laughs> like, like that. That's the problem I have with it. Is yeah. It's nine movies, hours and hours of content. Yeah. And it's all about a single group of people, essentially. Yeah. They're the most and, important family yeah, ever. And we have this giant universe that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. And we're not getting it. No. Like, and like I said, I don't get, like, the problem is I don't care about the Skywalkers anymore. That's why I want a Dexter Jex- Jester <laughs> Disney Plus series where he's just running his diner on Coruscant and everything. You don't have to have any Skywalker show up. You don't have to have any Jedi show up, period. Or maybe you do. Maybe, you know, you bring in the Inquisitors there or something. They're looking for somebody. But, like, and I feel yeah. like that's what's getting, I think we're getting there finally with all these new series. My dad was watching The Bad Batch the other day, and I haven't, I didn't watch The Bad Batch, but he's, I, I gave him Dis- Disney Plus recently, and he's been going through all the Star Wars stuff, and he's like, oh, this is fun. Mm. And, you know, I was watching a little bit of it, and I'm like, see, this is interesting, because it's not directly Skywalker related. It's, right. Like, we're, that's what I want. Yeah. I think, I mean, the, my criticisms of episode nine also come down to J.J. Abrams not knowing how to end a story so because he never does but um, yeah we didn't really end a story there yeah but that all that like it didn't feel like the completion of a nine movie arc the way that you would want this is the epic conclusion of the skywalker saga no and it's not like they're never gonna do episode 10 where you know ray shows up now and she's the skywalker and everything they're gonna they're gonna do episode 10 11 and 12 it might take 10 years to get there or something but they're gonna do those i'm like i said i'm very excited see where things go like i i read all the thrawn books because Mm -hmm. i like seeing a different section because you know what you don't get in the thrawn books you don't really get jedi Mm -hmm. anakin shows up a little bit in some of them but otherwise they're very devoid of jedi which is wonderful yeah well i don't know this movie kind of goes back and forth with it We, we i forgot to mention in the arena fight scene um when anakin and uh obi-wan are tied up and everything like I was whenever I watch this movie I'm like man too bad they're not able to use their force powers for some reason to easily escape this scenario <laughs> like and we see Count Dooku pull down a pillar later and everything like that like you it's know what's like too is we see other beings like we see other characters using their force powers to control animals too and yeah. like yeah well Anakin does do that with the the reek he calms it and gets on top of it and everything but it's just that but the, Obi-Wan's a Jedi Master and should be able to do that, like... Yeah. The only one who should be in any sort of danger is Padme, Yeah, and honest. she's the one who thinks of climbing up there on top of the pillar. <laughs> yeah, like, like ah, the, the smart lady. Yeah, yeah. she somehow got out of the one handcuff real quick and then got out of the other one later. She does get her back scratched pretty bad, though, but... Eh, all that being said, I guess I'll do the outro.
Go right ahead. Great. This has been the Once Again Podcast. Any questions, comments, or critiques can be addressed to our email at onceagainpod at gmail.com. Follow us on our social media accounts, Once Again Pod, all one word, on Twitter and Instagram. If you'd like to contribute to the podcast, we have several tiers available on patreon.com slash onceagainpod. As always, a like, follow, or share would be greatly appreciated. Thank you, and have a wonderful day. And remember, we will entertain you. We will always entertain you. Stiltskin always says that magic comes with a price. But for this price, you can get a nice piece of jewelry. Use code ONCEPOD for 10% off your first order at Unusual Magic Jewelry on Etsy. Click the link in the description.